And now, our feature presentation. I like it spooky. Hey everybody, welcome to I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Clint. And as of this recording, it is the day after Hearst Fest in Fowlerville, Michigan. And Brian, I tell you, I have a new appreciation for horror celebrities at conventions. You're tired. I am tired. I by no means am trying to say that I am a horror celebrity, but I did a lot of talking and I'm just just zapped. And I got to thinking, I was like, I can only imagine what a horror celebrity who goes to these conventions week in and week out, you know, every other weekend or whatever, how they, they almost have to be drained at the end just because there's so much conversation. Well, I've been having some asshole chase me through my dreams every night for the last two weeks. So maybe we can find a place to sleep, you know, like a, a nice inn out east somewhere. That'd be cool. You know any place? I know a couple places. You know, but before I get to that kind of information, let's get to some news information. So my news is The Exorcist, the original horror classic, is returning to theaters in October. So Phantom Events is bringing The Exorcist back October 6th. This will be a cool kickoff for the new Exorcist movie that's coming out. I think that got pushed back or pulled forward. Does it come out? It got moved forward. I don't remember the dates, but it got moved forward like a couple weeks or something like that. I think it might come out October 6th, too. So maybe you could do like a double feature. You could do the original and then check out the other one. The, the whole Taylor Swift effect got pushed that movie. <laughs> oh, the outside forces. Of evil. The outside forces of evil. Evil! (laughs) 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 So with the recent passing of the director, William Fredkin, it looks like they're going to do Sunday, October 1st. Oh, not the 6th. 4 and 7 and Wednesday, October 4th at 4 and 7. So you can check out the movie if it's in your area one of those times. And that's the director's cut, the extended director's cut. I didn't know there was a different version than I've seen all my life. I wonder what they cut out of the movie. There was some stuff in there that you're like what how did this get left in you never know what the, what they do or what they're going to do i found out in the movie that we're going to discuss here in a little bit i was doing some research and found out that there was some stuff cut from that movie because it was deemed offensive at the time it's kind of crazy yeah so i think so fathom events it's kind of like draft house alamo draft house if anybody listening wants to f- go check that stuff out you just uh look up f- fathomevents.com i think it is and they'll there's a search bar that'll tell you if the movies they're showing are playing in a theater in your area but what's interesting is i doubt it because it's such a different time but will the first movie in theaters have the same effect on people that it did when it first came out where people were passing out and throwing up and uh that, that'd be interesting yeah 50 years been 50 years since the exorcist was released not crazy I read a snippet and I don't have anything to cite because I don't, I didn't, I just saw it and I was like, oh, that's cool. And I moved on. But uh, that Linda Blair, who played Reagan in the original, is going to make a cameo in some form or another in the, the new Exorcist movie. Did you ever check out the Exorcist TV show that was on Fox? No, I didn't. I enjoyed it. They only did two seasons, I think. And um, the first season was. It was Reagan was the mother, like it all tied back to the original. And then uh, maybe it was three seasons. Maybe it was the second and third season was like a house for uh, wayward children or something like that. Or I don't even remember, but it was actually on the better side of things that have been made from movies into TV shows. And it was on Fox. Each season was like a different kind of story or just it was a... Yeah, it was like American Horror Story, but different actors. But yeah, each season was different, a different story. Just with the exorcist possession theme. I think it all tied back, though. Like it all went back to the original story. You know, had the same demon or something like that. Well, it sounds better than Friday the 13th series, so I'll have to check it out. <laughs> Freddy's Nightmares was kind of not great either, was it? There was a couple that were good. It was hit or miss, yeah. I mean, they were just kind of... It was almost like watching Tales from the Crypt, just random stories. So what do you got for news? Anything exciting? So I'm actually going to share this article on the I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast Facebook page because it is a lengthy article. I think it's uh, it's an interesting read, but I pulled out some points just to discuss here. Uh, it's a bloody disgusting article, and it's about how the world is ready for a new Body Snatchers movie. It says there have been four 
um, invasion of the body snatcher adaptations since Jack Finney's 1954 novel. And each, of course, kind of deal with like social, political revelance of, you know, the turmoils of the time. Uh, 1956, and the theme was real nutshelled, you know, kind of about the Cold War. Uh, 1978, which is probably the most uh, revered, you know, and that's where you had Donald Sutherland and uh, one of the, one of the better adaptations of the story, and uh, that was just like kind of cultural turmoil of the times. And then 1993, which I didn't even know there was one in '93, but that was kind of more like culture conformity stuff with the end of the Cold War. And then the 2007 one that most people just did not care for, and that's where the theme was kind of like a you know genetic alteration of foods and human biology, psychology, and stuff like that. So this article alludes to. You know, there's so much social turmoil at the time or at this current time that it might be time to have another one. And maybe it could center around AI and just things of that nature. Hell, it can center around the aliens that are all over the place. But, you know, nowadays, pick or choose. Which which topic do you want? It could have its own anthology series. Each week is a new what the fuck is happening in the news today, you know? what was Somebody was talking about um, Knock at the Cabin. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't yet. So, well, the premise of it is, you know, it's the end times and there's this family at a cabin and these four people show up to like, say you have to make a sacrifice or the world's going to end. The first one is a plague of disease is coming, you know, and then the second one was wildfires everywhere. And then the third one was like planes falling out of the sky. And the person that was talking about it was like, yeah, and I'm in Las Vegas getting ready to fly home watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like the the joke meme you see from Cabin in the Woods where all the crazy shit's going on and the guy's like, you know, who had the six-headed sea serpent for September, you know, and you win the pot. It's like every day that goes by, all these movies that we watch become less, is it fiction that's re- fake? I don't. Yeah, fiction, fiction's fake. They become less fiction because you're like, oh, there is a guy wearing a hockey mask killing teenagers. What's going to be next? You know, what's going to be from some movie that was made 20 years ago that was so far-fetched, but then it happens. It's the whole art imitates life and life imitates art. If we get some guy carrying his brother around in a laundry basket, then I'm out. (laughs) I'm like, it's over. We watched Basket Case 2 the other day. God, I forgot how cheesy this one was, you know, with all the creatures and stuff living upstairs in that house. Yeah, completely random inserted fact here, but we haven't talked about Ted from Ted's Marvelous Custom Gumball Emporium in a while. Ted alluded to a while ago, and he hasn't had time to get to it yet, the best I know, but he wants to make a basket case gumball machine. I know one individual who just bought six brand new gumball machines from Ted, and uh, I don't know if they're going to have any money left over to buy the basket case one when it comes out. Tell me, Brian, do you think that that person would have any more money to buy another one? Well, shit, if they got enough to buy six, they can probably buy more. <laughs> what the hell? One in every room in your house? Maybe we could fill one with money. Maybe like a money dispenser. Yeah, there we go. So this episode, I got a couple, I got a ton of stuff, but I just can't continue to share everything because it would take up the whole damn episode. And some of it's not. I ordered from Terravision. I got some copies of Strange Behavior on a record and cassette. I'm selling those at that event at the Orpheum, hopefully. So that's not really coming out of my pocket unless I get stuck with them, but I'd be able to sell them and make my money back. Um, one thing I did pick up is Stabby Road. So it come, it came in a DVD type case, but it's actually a CD, uh, audio CD. And uh, this is from Jeff Whitmire. Stumbled across him as part of the Mutant Family on uh, Twitter, and he does parodies. So he's got parodies of songs, but they're horror related. So I'll just go maybe read a couple here that he's Final Destination is a parody of Celebration by Cool and the Gang. That Thing is a parody of That Thing You Do. So just that kind of stuff. So he's kind of the weird owl of horror. You took the words right out of my mouth. That's exactly what I was going to say. And somebody actually said that to him. They're like, you're like the weird owl of horror. So I picked that up. I'll listen to it in the car on the way to work. And then this is the most beautiful thing that I've gotten in a long time. And I was excited about it. I got the Legend of Boggy Creek. And you can't see it, but it's still in the mailer because the mailer is a Legend of Boggy Creek mailer. Yeah, the image, the image consists, the whole mailer consists of the image of the, the film. That's crazy. 
4K with the slip. Oh, I think it was like $39, but I love this movie. I have already shared it on our TikTok and our socials, and Justin Beam from Reverend Entertainment did the special features. He shared it. Um, the director's daughter, Charles Price's daughter, sent me a friend request on Facebook and like shared the video. So that's awesome. She sent a little card, a little holograph 50 year anniversary of Boggy Creek. Got an autograph on it. Yeah, it's got her autograph on it. So I just love this movie. It's ingrained in my life forever. You know, we went and seen it at the drive-in and then I wrote a letter to Joe Bob and he read it on the show and big part of my life. I actually had my, uh, Big Sky Drive-In shirt on yesterday when the mailman brought it up. I was like, oh, what's that? So I, I know that you have a lot of special connections with that movie, but I tell you what, uh, any self-respecting fan of that movie would benefit from getting what you got. That's amazing. Everything that's included in that. Yeah, I did. I just thought I was getting the movie. I was just like, oh, order this movie, you know, support Justin. And I love that movie. I mean, it's it's definitely a gateway movie in the horror, I feel like. Finley and I watched part two, which is not nearly as good as part one, but there's nothing really, I mean, creepy, maybe there's no blood, no guts. You don't even really see the monster, you know? I feel like it's something most people could watch and enjoy, and it's just a beautiful looking movie. It's like watching a old Mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom show, you know, with like the talking over the movie a lot and just the stills of birds and the swamp. It, it kind of sounds like the film we're going to discuss here in just a little bit, minus the cryptid stuff. But real quick, was that part of your Terravision subscription, or is this something special, specific that you bought? No, this is something specific that I bought there. Uh, Justin worked with the director's daughter and some other companies and cleaned the movie up, redid the sound, did special features, because there's not one with special features. It's just not out there. Most of them are old VHS tapes, or it's on DVD where it's an old crappy looking version with no extras. So the daughter worked on this and got it out to celebrate, I think, the 50th anniversary and just keep her dad's you know, lineage alive. I remember talking with Justin, and I think it was a pretty lengthy process for this, for Boggy Creek Restoration. It's never really had a legitimate Blu-ray release that I know of. I looked at some of the, I think it has, but you can't pick it up for, I mean, it's out of print. I was finding copies for like 60 to to $100, and I'm like, well, I don't want to buy that. I just want to see the movie, and I can buy the 4K brand new with a slipcover, and hopefully it will look amazing. I actually spent some money this go around. Not a lot, but I did, and it is no near as special or sentimental as yours. Thanks to our friend Jason Bollinger over at Cracktastic Plastic. He did a post recently about a new horror crossover Transformer coming out. Uh, he did a post about Frankentron. I covered it on Spill the Guts. Hasbro put out Frankentron. It's a, it was a pre-order, so I dropped some money on that. It'll be coming in January. I recently saw, you know, a while back they did a Dracula one, and I saw it, and I've just, you know, Frankenstein is where I've always kind of gravitated to. And so I saw it, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, but I guess I don't really need it for the collection. But I saw this Frankentron one. It looks amazing. I hop right on it. So, of course, now I'm like, okay, now I got to get the Dracula one, and then who knows where they're going to stop. So I'm going to have a whole new wing in my collection of Transformer monster, Universal monster crossovers. The Invisible Man might be kind of weird. Be a stealth bomber. Yeah, there you go. I already gave him an idea. Damn, I should yep. for Mattel. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> uh, the only other thing, it was unsuccessful, is uh, last when Okay, so... Wednesday, September, it was 13th. Yeah, Wednesday, September 13th, a few days before this recording, was uh, Creep Show Day. And it was the first issue of volume two of the new Creep Show comics. Boots got out of school. She hopped in the truck. We went to the comic store. So we got there, you know, 3.40 in the afternoon or whatever. All sold out. And what, what sucks, what sucks about that is, you know, my day job's UPS. And that morning I had the box of the comics in my hand, their comics for, for my local comic shop get shipped through UPS. And so I know every day when they're coming to pick them up, cause they come in and pick them up, they don't have them delivered. And I'm like, the box came out I'm looking at it and I'm like, Oh boy, I should tear into this. You know, of course I'm not gonna, I'm not going to lose my job for a comic, but I was just excited. It was in my hand. And I thought, I didn't think it'd be sold out by three in the afternoon. So I don't have that yet. I'm going to run down. He's going to get some more in, I think, next Wednesday and go down and pick that up. He's going to hold you a copy? I didn't ask him to because I so I used to have them for a lot of their customers. You can start a folder and I think it's free. And then, you know, any comic you when 
new basketball heads come out or new creep show, whatever, they'll stick them in there. But then I always feel like I have to hurry up and get down there because they get burnt a lot on that. And there's a lot of people who months will go by and you'll see the comic shop post like, hey, come on, everybody. You know, A, I could have sold these to someone else. I don't know if you're coming or not. Or B, this is taking up a lot of room. You know, it's a lot of time and extra effort. So it's nice that they do that. I don't ever want to get into a situation where I can't get down there for some reason and I feel like I'm taking advantage of them. And it's also, this is kind of the thrill of the hunt. You know, now I got to go find this fucking thing. So I do have the local... It's a bookshop, not a comic book shop. I have them hold magazines for me. They order Scream Magazine just for me. So if they're going to order a magazine and get it in the store to sell, I should probably have them calling me to pick up a copy. Now, of course, they do that. So do they order? They don't order just one. They order like a small amount and then put them out for other people to buy, right? Yeah, I think they ordered four or five, maybe. I think last time I was there, they only had one copy left. So, I mean, they sold me one and sold a couple more. I feel like that's good. Well, you know, even though it doesn't sound like either of us really dropped a whole lot of cash just go around, we could always use a sponsor. And we might not even need a sponsor commercial because you just kind of plugged, we just, both of us just kind of plugged our local comic shops. We here at the I Like a Spooky Horror Podcast would like to take a second to showcase our local comic and book shops. If you're in the Galesburg, Illinois area, make sure to visit the Wordsmith Bookshop located at 235 East Main Street in Galesburg, Illinois, because any place that will specifically order Scream Magazine for a customer is worth a visit. If you're in the Jackson, Michigan area, stop by Nostalgic Inc. located at 139 South Mechanic Street, who for over 35 years has been a destination stop for all of your comic, collectible, and table gaming needs. Shop smart. Shop local bookmarks. So now that we've heard from our sponsor, it's time for the movie. This episode, we're covering the 1960 horror mystery classic. I mean, it's all over the damn place. When you look it up, there's like 14 heavy metal bands have what on a record or in a... Oh, God, why can't I think of the word? Music video. I forgot because they don't do those anymore. You're, you're making me jump ahead in my notes, but... Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. No, 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 I got to talk about it, no. This film can be seen in Blair Witch, Book of Shadows, uh, the History Channel's Haunted History of Halloween, which I have that on VHS and I watch it a couple times a year. I'm weird. Uh, the 1990 Iron Maiden music video for Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter. Uh, it can be heard in, in In This Moment song and two songs from Rob Zombie, American Witch, and perhaps the most popular, Dragula. We haven't even said the name of the movie. You think they could guess? Maybe. Let, let's let's throw them another another clue. This film from 1960 stars Christopher Lee, and I don't know about what you thought, Brian, but I think that Christopher Lee looks like a young Nick Cage. Like I'm like, oh my god, is Nick Nicholas Cage Christopher Lee's illegitimate son? Kind of like in a what was that? Bring out your dead. Was that the ambulance movie that he was in? Which is nothing like this movie, but yeah. No, but he, yeah, when he's young like that. Yeah, he's really young in this movie. I didn't notice that until you just said that. Yeah, he's he's not like in his Hammer days where he's in the 70s and 80s. He was younger than that in his Hammer. 70s and 80s is when he got mainstream and was doing, you know, Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and stuff. I wonder what happened. Because he aged a lot between 1960 and 1970 when he started doing Hammer films. Maybe it was the makeup or the lighting or something. I don't know. We'll go back and watch uh, The Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978. All kinds of social turmoil and drugs. All right, let's throw them one <laughs> more clue. One more clue before we say the name of this 1960 classic. I got a question. So when you were watching this movie, I thought you were done. I sent you a message. I said, what did you think of the movie? You're like, I'm halfway through. And I was like, I hope you enjoy it. And you weren't like, I don't know. You were just like, yeah, it's okay. And then you said something along the lines that the, the lady in the film makes it easy to watch. And I just left it alone because I wanted to wait until we recorded. I want to know which lady were you talking about? The blonde, the witch. Oh, there's a clue. Or the brunette. Oh, the main actress. I don't know what color her hair. I think she's a blonde. The young woman who went to Whitewood to study witchcraft. Okay, yeah. She's beautiful. Yeah, they're all attractive females. It's a it's a British film, so that helps too, but set in America. It was shot in shot in England. Yeah. Hey Brian, what the hell is the name of the movie we're talking about? Horror Hotel. 
You ever heard of Horror it? Horror Hotel from 1960. This is probably off most people's beaten path, though. This is not a movie that I was I knew of. I mean, I'm sure I've seen it several places, littered in pop culture, but it's not a movie that I was like, oh, yeah, I know that one. It was a film that I stumbled across. I don't even remember how forever ago, and I just fell in love with it. And I had already been a fan of most of the things that we mentioned, the music videos and the movies, and had seen the images, had heard the audio excerpts. And then I, it clicked as I'm watching the movie. I'm like, oh, holy shit, that's from the Rob Zombie song. Oh, holy shit, that was in History Channel's Halloween of Horror, you know? I think one of the problems that I have is I watch so much bad stuff, and I spent my childhood watching so much stuff that is, again, not on people's radar. Or maybe it was. That's why I don't know of it. And it was maybe the time we were born. You know, we got that 80s push of Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and Tex Chainsaw Massacre and Halloween. And it was just so in your face as a horror fan that sometimes it's hard to turn around and go, oh, what's over here that's black and white? And that's why I kind of love when you give me movies like this. It's off the beaten path for me. It's not something I'd maybe watch unless you said, hey, we should watch this. But I always know I'm going to get something that looks, it fucking looked amazing. That was the first thing I thought. I was like, this looks beautiful. What are people doing wrong nowadays that movies don't look this good? The production quality is amazing. But on top of that, just the the artistic style, The it's visually striking. It's a very visual movie. Yeah, you're right. It is absolutely beautiful. You know, the acting's great. The story's good. I know I'm going to get that when you say, hey, let's watch this old black and white movie. So I enjoy going and watching these movies. You know, it's a, it's a refreshing thing to do is go back and watch these movies. And again, another movie that you could show your kids that, you know, maybe not most five-year-olds, but, you know, if your kid's 12 or 13 and you want to introduce them to some horror stuff, this would be a logical next step after Nightmare Before Christmas or, you know, Halloween Tree or, you know, Monster House. This would be a logical next step in that journey into horror. It's got just enough weight with the story and the context and some of the visuals, just enough weight to where as an adult, you can enjoy it on an adult level. Yeah, it's still clean enough to where any anybody could watch this film. So one, one of the reasons we chose this, uh, I'm hoping that our audience is starting to see if they haven't already noticed, we don't like to, and we're not the only show that does this, but we don't like to just kind of be in one genre or one subgenre. We like to bounce around. And so Brian and I, not long before this recording, sat down and kind of planned out the last half of the year for the show and what we're going to cover. And this popped up and I was like, this is going to be a great movie to discuss because this episode comes out October 1st. You're hearing this now. It's October 1st. So we're kind of kicking off October. We're kicking off Halloween. And what better way than with the story of witchcraft and the revenge of a witch set on fire in Salem. Another point I want to bring up is this movie is uh, the ex lady, Melissa. I introduced her to this movie and she fell in love with it. Now, Brian, you and her, you guys always got along, but I mean, as far as pop culture tastes and movie tastes, I think you guys are probably polar opposites for the most part. And you both seem to kind of jump in ahead to what your rating might be. You both seem to really enjoy and love this movie. This quickly became one of her favorites. One of the only things that I dislike about this movie is I have it on DVD. And so her and I would watch it. And then um, once you watch a movie so many times, you just kind of watch it and it helps you drift off to sleep. And I've seen this movie countless times. But on the so we'd watch it, we'd fall asleep. And then on the DVD, when it, it would click back to the, the menu screen, and so the music is, or the, the movie's not quiet. And then it goes to that menu screen. This music kicks on and is all freaking loud and it wake me up and I go, oh my God. And then I just like click to play and then I'd fall back asleep. And two hours later, I'd wake up again. Talk about a fucking nightmare. Oh. Is it the music that they're singing in the, the bowels of the hotel? It is. Yeah. The, the kind of chant and it's like really, really amped up. Oh my God. It's scary. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely a, a comfort movie. Again, you could put this on. You could watch it. 
And then you could put it on later and, you know, it could be playing in the background and you could be working on your homework or your whatever you need to do. And it's kind of one of those movies that would be on and you'd watch it for a little bit and then maybe you'd clean the house a little bit. But you want to sit down and watch it first. You want to take it in and, you know, get the whole experience. Maybe the only thing that I like didn't like is there was a little lull in the middle. And we'll get to that where the story flipped and you're like, OK, what happened? That was a weird kind of shift in there in the middle, but takes off from there. No, I know what you're saying. I thought the movie had great pacing. I really did. But it got to this point in the middle where there was this kind of transition from right around the end of Act 2 to the beginning of Act 3, where it just this kind of like nice, even pacing. You weren't upset. It didn't seem to lag. And then it was just like flip, flip. And then it just kind of like took off from there really fast. See, I know what you're saying. It's kind of hard to explain. You have to watch the movie. Hopefully, our listeners who haven't seen this go and watch it, and maybe we'll f- we can find out if they agree or not. Well, how about a how about a synopsis? You got a synopsis for us? Christopher Lee's an asshole <laughs> who stabs pigeons in his office in the dark. For as complex of a movie as it is, it's not a very complex synopsis. So a young college student, Nan Barlow, I don't know why her last name matters, but arrives in the sleepy town of Whitewood, Massachusetts to research witchcraft. Nan's stay at the Erie Ravens Inn takes a turn when she learns its proprietor, Ness Newless. You can whistle again for her. Yeah, she was kind of older lady, but she was attractive. Um, or maybe it was just makeup. As the reincarnation of a witch burned at the stake in 1692, the discovery unravels the startling truth about the town that is really a coven of witches who have a sinister plan to sacrifice humans so they can become immortal. I think they're already immortal, right? As long as they sacrifice twice a year and drink the blood of their victims. That's all it takes? Let's go, Clint. What movie were you watching? I know, The Fountain of Youth. We need 11 other people. A Coven of Witches is 13. I never knew that. I think between your multiple personalities and mine, we've got it covered. So we should be okay. What's interesting about that synopsis is it says, and like unravel the mystery of the town. Dude, this whole movie, one of the silly things about it is the characters' reactions to everything that's going on around them is one big Eddie Murphy joke about the Amityville house. I mean, how do you not realize what the fuck is going on? And they're like, hmm, this is weird. Oh, that's a little eerie. You know, oh, I hear chanting. Why is this here? And it's just like, what? what is, it's hitting you in the face. Get the fuck out of town and leave, you know? But they're like, oh, that's odd. Well, it's got the old guy outside of town, you know, that runs the gas station. And he's like, no, don't go there. The preacher, the blind preacher, get out of town. Everybody's like, yeah, you should leave. Even the lady at the end, doesn't she say, we don't have any rooms. And she's the witch. <laughs> like, what the fuck? She didn't want to be discovered or whatever. But the, you brought up the gas station guy. And I think it's interesting because I think this is probably one of the first movies where that character was introduced. And of course, over time, he became the dirty hillbilly who was really wanting to kill you or whatever. You don't go down that road. This is like the first movie of that harbinger this is kind of um ralph from friday the 13th of course he wasn't he wasn't crazy but this is like the first rendition of ralph ralph wasn't crazy well you know he was seen <laughs> as a town yeah he was right i love how the movie started the movie starts in 1692 and elizabeth selwyn you know you're in, you're in this puritan village and elizabeth selwyn who has been accused of witchcraft gets dragged to the stake to be burned one thing I thought was weird about that scene, I don't know if you caught this, Brian. You know, they tired of the stake and she's yelling no, and the crowd's chanting, burn witch, burn, burn the witch. And then they light the torch to light the fire. And when they lit the torch, the crowd just boop, like you flip a switch and they go silent for a minute. And then it's a close-up of Selwyn's eyes looking at the torch. I just thought it was kind of odd. Everybody just very starkly went quiet, looked at the torch, and then they start chanting again. It was weird. Well, and I had read somewhere that they didn't even burn witches at the stake in Massachusetts. It was mostly hangings, donings, kind of like they would just lay them down and put heavy rocks on them. (laughs) It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, I saw that it wasn't historically accurate, which I just dismiss because you're not necessarily watching this for historical accuracy. This is a fiction. I mean, I get this, the hanging, but could you imagine maybe they had to tie him down? They tie this person down and then just every person in the town takes rocks and lays them on top of them until the rocks are heavy enough to crush them. And that'd be an awful way to die. Just to like a weighted blanket. Really weighted. I found out that in that scene, tired of the stake, they light it on fire. As she's starting to burn, she lays this curse down on the town and she calls in the power of, oh, Lucifer. And I found out that um, her dialogue, that whole dialogue set was actually omitted 
in the, the U.S. release because American censors found it offensive at the time. So this film was shot in England. It released in 1960 in England, in the U.K., under the, the title City of the Dead. And then in 62, it was released here in the States under the name Horror Hotel. And, of course, that part was edited out. Yeah, the best part of that opening scene is her husband, maybe? Or just her, I don't know, they're in the coven together. She's chanting... And burning, he's standing in the crowd, Lucifer, help her, kind of chanting along and asking for, you know, Satan to help her. But nobody's fucking paying attention to what he's saying. Like, you can hear it. And then he just like, she burns and he goes about his day. <laughs> like, no one was like, he's a witch, too. Yeah, it was shortly after he denounced her publicly because she called out to him. They're like, has thou consulted with a witch? And he was just like, no. After this weird long pause. <laughs> He's like, nah, I'm good. Lighter, lighter up. One of the cool things about this movie goes back to the, they hit the right notes on storytelling visually on the story. But another aspect I thought was the editing. The editing really, you know, transitioned the story along quite nicely. So you start off with that burning scene and it's that scene's kind of wrapping up and then boom, it cuts to modern times in 1960. Christopher Lee's Alan Driscoll character is a professor, a history professor at a college, and you find out he's telling the story to the class. And it just kind of sets up the next scene. I loved how they did like book closings to edit to go to the next scene and stuff like that. It was great. So you find out that Nan is his prized pupil. She really wants to learn about witchcraft. She was going to go on a vacation with her boyfriend. She decides to go to Massachusetts and stay at this inn that her professor said, yeah, go stay here. Drop my name. They'll get you taken care of. And they got her taken care of. The other weird thing was like, I know this was in 1960, but if I'm driving down a foggy ass road, I am not stopping to pick up anybody. And everybody picked that guy up. I'm like, everybody fucking picks him up. I'm glad you brought that up because so there was a couple things about the Nan character that I found interesting. Again, this movie came out in 1960, and this is one of the first movies I can think of, at least in the horror genre. But in general, it had that strong, liberated female lead. And of course, the 60s was the birth of the you know women's lib movement. And I think this was almost the first portrayal of that on film, at least at least on the screen, at least in a horror film, where you know, she is like, no, I'm not going to do what you tell me, man, you know, to the to her brother and to her boyfriend. She's like, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to go by myself. I thought her character was also interesting because she was almost her brother was a scientist and her boyfriend, I think, was kind of like his understudy to a degree or something. And so she almost had this very scientific mind, even though she was interested in the mythology of witchcraft. She dismissed she was almost naive to the point where it was to her detriment. It's OK if I pick this guy up in this foggy road. There's no real witchcraft you know and it, it wound up getting her killed Ooh, spoiler alert yeah she uh goes to town she meets the town uh, librarian or history collector or it was a store that the girl ran right like i don't know yeah she said that her grand so you find out that her grandfather is the blind blind priest yeah her grandmother had just passed away she came back in town recently to kind of close up and settle affairs i don't know maybe her grandmother had that store but it was like an antique historical type store and she was the other in this movie. I also wonder how the church stayed open so long because everybody in town worshiped the devil. Why the hell would you keep it open? Tax write-off? Well, the only thing I could think of is they weren't allowed into the house of God, but they did everything they could, you know, externally. Possessed or killed or scared away all the townspeople, and so there was no congregation, and so it, you know, fell to ruins, but they couldn't go inside. Didn't see that coming. What? My explanation? Him being blind. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> oh, that is so terrible. Oh, God, Brian. Well, here's something else you probably didn't see coming. Uh, I found a fun fact. This, and I didn't know this until today, this was originally written as a, a pilot for a horror television series intended to star Boris Karloff that never got made. I wonder how they would have done that different. I almost wonder if Boris would have played the Jethro character. I could see him playing that character. The, the kind of foreboding warlock. I don't know how that would have worked. I'm trying to wrap around how the story would have been a TV show, but I'm sure they could have figured it out. They're smarter than I am about making movies. We're talking a lot about horror anthology television shows this episode. We do that sometimes. Just go down rabbit holes? Yeah. I laughed a lot because they kept saying, in 1692, the year of our Lord. And I was like, I thought... 1786 was the year of our Lord. In 1842, I'm like, is every fucking year the year of our Lord? In Puritan America, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. It's just, I was like, 
What? A, why? Every t- every year is the year of our Lord until it's not. Speaking of dates, this movie has a Brian Hoover tie-in. It does? Do you remember a while ago when Brian Hoover asked us if there was any specific movie we watch at a certain time, you know, like Jaws in July or Return of the Living Dead on the 4th of July? So this is another one. So this movie, they had to sacrifice someone and drink their blood twice a year february 1st which was candle mass eve and then again a month later on march 3rd which was the witch's sabbath and that's what kept them alive and if they weren't able to do this then they you know physically would die so yeah every february 1st and every march 3rd it shall now hear ye hear ye shall now be known as horror hotel day of the year of our lord yeah <laughs> on this day march 1st in 2024 in the year of our Lord, we will watch Horror Hotel. So back to the story, Nan goes there. She winds up getting lured into the basement and she gets killed. She is sacrificed. A couple weeks go by, her brother and her brother's boyfriend are like, she was supposed to show up back from her trip and meet them at some uh, colleague's birthday party. She doesn't show. They start inquiring. They go to the village. Well, they call the, they call the, try to call the hotel, but it doesn't exist. Then they go to the ho- they go to Whitewood and they kind of start unraveling the mystery. By now it's March third. It's been about a month, and then the witches are trying to kill the priest's granddaughter. And now we're really getting into the end of Act Three. Nan's brother and boyfriend save the day, and they defeat the witches. Well, they call the police at one point. The sheriff goes and checks on it, but he finds nothing. And then I can't remember the girl's name, the priest's daughter, but she comes and talks to the brother. Yeah, she leaves Whitewood and goes and talks to them. And then on the way back, she picks up the hitchhiker. That starts that whole thing with they're going to kill her now. Is it the boyfriend that goes with the gun? No, that's her brother. The boyfriend's tailing behind, but he gets into a car wreck because of the witch and a fiery car wreck and barely survives. Then, yeah, the, the preacher dies. He's stuck in the closet and runs out of air. So he dies, you know, when they get him out because they don't know CPR in 1960s. I think he probably had a heart attack is almost what it looked like because the, the witches stole his granddaughter and he was. I like mine better. He ran out of air in the closet. <laughs> yeah, the boyfriend crawls to town because he's been in an accident. The brother finds the singing. I don't know why they chant so loud. It's like, you're going to lead everybody down here. Keep it down a little bit. You know, he goes down and he tries to shoot him. He can't kill him with a gun. So he picks up the girl and they stumble outside or up upstairs. And that's the end of the movie. They, well, they kill them all, you know, with the cross. <laughs> that's the end of the movie. Well, they, well, they kill them all. He tries to shoot them. They're, they're basically invincible. The only way to kill these witches is with the shadow of the cross. And that's what the dead priest told the brother. So you have to like hold a cross and let the moonlight or whatever, you know, create a shadow. And then they burn to death. They kill everybody with the the shadow of the cross. Elizabeth Selwyn escapes. The brother says, we're going to go find Miss Newless. It's like he still didn't realize that it was Elizabeth Selwyn at this point, which is kind of weird. But And we've got a score to settle. And they go to the hotel, and she's just leaned up against the wall with the druid hoodie on. You can't see her face. They approach her cautiously. And then she kind of flips back, and you see that it's her, and she's dead, and she's all burnt. So we're kind of getting into a few of my hang-ups of this movie, which aren't a big deal. Again, this is a great movie, a great story. Uh, I'll say some more great things about it in a minute, but some of the hangups were that burn makeup at the end when she's revealed as the dead Elizabeth Selwyn. I wish they would have done more with that. It's pretty weak. And I thought even if it was just a corpse skeleton or just, you know what I mean? But it was just her in human form at her age when she was burned as a witch two, 300 years ago or whatever. And she just kind of had some black makeup on her face and it was just lackluster. The other hang up was when the brother went down into the caves where they sacrificed women to drink their blood. It had only been a month since his sister had been dragged down there. And of course, when she was down there, there was all these really cool cobwebs everywhere. And it was beautiful. It was made sense. It's been a year since someone's been there. Well, now it's only been a month and the cobwebs are back already in full force. It was like the kingdom of the spiders. Spiders were down there weaving all these webs. It was kind of like, okay, it's only been a month. I laughed at that part when the spider was like in his face and he's like not trying to knock it out. I'm like, what the fuck? It was pretty obvious it was a rubber spider. You even heard it like thud when it hit the wall. My only other hang up, and again, this is something stupid, is the brother is in the cemetery before he runs back into the hotel. I can't remember how that went. I just watched this last night. I can't remember how that actually happened. But he kind of bumps up against a tombstone and he starts to brush it off. And you see that it's 
Christopher Lee's character, Alan Driscoll, that he's been dead. He is one of the witches, you find out. And of course, you think he's just this college professor. But it was just kind of awkward. There was so much more going on. Why did he take the time to brush this off to read that name? So how they revealed it was just kind of a little awkward. Yeah, it was a weird spot to reveal that. You'd think it would have happened maybe earlier, 10 minutes or 15 minutes in from that point backwards. And then maybe he would have been like, oh, something is going on. You know, maybe that would have been his clue that, oh, this isn't what it seems. Something is really going on here. We know from our limited involvement in productions, Brian, and of course our um, at-length discussions about them, that budgetary and time restraints can cause certain things to happen in the movie. We were talking on the last episode about Nightmare on Elm Street 3, where we found out that Taryn's head was supposed to explode when Freddy injected her with the needles in the arms, but the effect didn't work, so they had to move on. So I wonder if something like that happened with this film. I didn't see a a shooting schedule. I saw that it was made on a 45,000 euro budget, which in 1960, and then now you start talking about euros. I don't know how that translates, but it seems rather low budget. Would that have been pounds back then in England? I don't know. It just said a little euro sign. That would be like, I think I did the math. It was like $55,000, almost $56,000 if it was pounds in today's money with what the dollar is worth in pounds today, you know, because there's, there would be that exchange rate. So it'd be, you know, about $56,000. This is an extremely low budget film then. They probably spent $55,000 of that on fucking fog. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this was a foggy ass movie. It's funny you say that. I'll get to that in the rating in a minute. But yeah, so this is an an extremely low budget movie. Besides those couple little faux pas hangups or whatever, it's you would not know it. It's an influential film. It's a beautiful film. It's well acted. The effects are actually pretty cool for the time. Every anybody I've ever introduced to this film, they love it. So I hope our listeners who haven't seen it kick off their spooky season with Horror Hotel. And like we said, it's a it's a gateway movie. That's probably the easiest way to say it. You know, younger people in the horror, maybe people that you're like, hey, you want to check out some horror movies and you start them with this and then go from there, kind of build them up if they've not, you know, taken that trip into horror films. There's only two parts where I was like, okay, that one, the knife to the back. When the guy gets the knife to the back, I was like, okay, that might bother some people. And uh, when Nan is changing for the dance, and she's got, yeah, I was like, wow, she's, and so I started like looking into who the actress was before she got into um, acting. She was like, uh, not really a playmate, but she was in like magazines for, you know, men back in that time where they were maybe showed a little shoulder or a little more leg than you normally would, or maybe a little cleavage, which back in the fifties and sixties was a big deal. Now, hell, you sh- you could show it all and nobody would care. But, you know, back then she was, you know, one of the women that was in these magazines all the time. And there was even a beer that to this day, her picture is on the front. Sweetheart Stout. It's the same photo has appeared on cans and bottles since 1958. And it's still like I can go I can go buy a Sweetheart Stout right now? Maybe. A Scottish Stout. Uh-oh, I'm Scottish. Beeradvocate.com. $1.55 GBP. So I gather it's something that's sold overseas. You could order it and possibly get it shipped to the United States. I wonder if I get it like a discount because I don't know if anybody knows this. I don't think you know this, Brian. I am officially a Scottish lord. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Royalty. Heavy Scottish descent on both sides of my family. But uh, for a Father's Day gift a few years ago, the girls got me. You can buy this like one square foot of land and it's like deeded to me. And because of that, I am now Lord Clint Michael Tacey. So, I mean, it's official, but it's not like I have a castle or a moat or anything bigger than one square foot of land. But I'll fight you for my one square foot of land as I'm drinking some sweet stout. Damn it. Yeah. What does Braveheart say? You can take our lives. Hold, you can take our lives, but never our freedom or our one inch square foot of land. No, that's crazy. I had no idea that uh, that the Nan character, I think her name was Victoria something or other. Then Tina Stevenson, V-E-N-E-T-I-A. But I, I had no idea that she was a, basically a pinup girl. But yeah, that scene where that scene where she's changing for 1960, you know, she's in, a, and nothing's really revealing, but for 1960, she was in kind of a black lacy bustier and she had the garter belt and the thigh highs. And it was just a, little, a ris- risque for the time. And I, 
when I saw it, I thought to myself, it ties in with this whole strong, independent women's lib because it wasn't portrayed in kind of a, uh, I don't know, like an exploit, exploitative way. It was just more of this, I am a beautiful woman, hear me roar type stuff. Yeah, she's in a lot of movies. She's in a lot of TV shows. And it says she appeared in Back to the Future Part 2 as the cover girl of Ooh La La magazine. This movie has inspired more stuff than we know about. So I got one more point I want to bring up, and then, I don't know about you, but we'll get to a rating. You think it's time to rate this? Point is, is I need to look more into the director and see what his background was, but as you're watching this, everything was almost choreographed as a play, and I wonder if he has a theater background. It had great blocking and great stage direction, especially as far as the villains, like when they would emerge from the shadows on screen, and the, just the visual cues, it made everything flow so well. It was almost like watching a, a well-oiled play on stage. Yeah, I feel like we get that a lot when we watch movies from England. Theater's huge over there. I feel like it just seems like they used a lot of theater people in these movies. Yeah, their their theater heritage really stands strong and, and shows through to this day. And of course, we get stuff here in the States, and I'm not knocking it, but in comparison as far as, you know, I just reported on Spill of the Guts where Saw the Musical is going to be on stage, you know, which is sleazy compared to the beautiful direction that we're, we're talking about. Not knocking Saw the Musical. One last thing is Boots noticed this, and I had never seen this, but she said that the curtains that were in Nan's hotel room at the Raven's Inn were the same curtains that Christopher Lee's Alan Driscoll character had in his study at the college. She said, did you see that? And I said, I've never seen that. And um, I was so tired last night, I didn't go back to look. I trust her. So I, it was kind of like foreshadowing. Give me a number. What do you think? Oh, Christopher Lee, the pigeon killer. So I watched this movie Friday night. I was busy and, you know, I was like, okay, it's time to sit down and relax. And I watched it. Like I said, one of those comfort movies that you could put on after you watch it maybe once or twice because there's still stuff you're going to miss because you could sit and just not even pay attention to the acting that's going on and look at the town and all the stuff and all the fog, you know, count the fog particles. Um. <laughs> so weird. You'd be you. You'd fucking be there for eternity. Maybe that's somebody's punishment somewhere. They're burning in hell, counting the fog particles in this movie. <laughs> Good God! <laughs> so I, uh, I gave it an eight out of ten. God fearing folk. What about you? Eight out of ten. Not bad for a first watch. So I'll sum it up, repeating myself on some points, but it, it, this is a very visual movie. Uh, it has striking imagery. It's a great story, great editing, great pacing, great acting. Just about anything that you would want from a black and white horror flick. And I, you kind of stole my fog thunder, but that's okay because it's funny. But I rated this 9 out of 10 fog machines. This is a foggy-ass movie, but it's that cool, old-school black and white horror film fog, but it is thick, and it is very much a character of the film. Into the darkness. Look for the fog. They probably had to turn the tenth one off so that you could fucking see the people. It was probably the operator of the tenth fog machine <laughs> choked to death and died of asphyxiation because of the amount of fog that's in this movie. You got Legionnaire's disease or some shit from all the moisture. <laughs> Nine out of 10. I'd give it 10 out of 10. And I almost wanted to just because it actually has been culturally impactful. And I, I keep that in mind. Back when we talked about Halloween, you know, covered Halloween, I said one of the reasons I rate this as high as I did is because its impact on pop culture in general. Gosh, I almost want to change my rating, but it is what it is. It has a few hangups. Uh, a point someone brought up is it's supposed to take place in Massachusetts in February and March. Well, of course, it should be bitter ass cold in February and March. Nine out of ten. I'm gonna stick with it. Nine out of ten. Maybe the witches cursed the weatherman too. What did you say you rated it? God fearing folk. Is that what you said? God fearing folk. Well, that's a great segue into our podcast network, the PFPN. I don't know. Are they full of God fearing folk? I always call them penis monsters. I don't know which they are. Maybe it's half and half. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening.
So now that we've heard from our podcast network, it's time for This Day in Horror History. A date which will live in infamy. So this episode is October 1st through the 13th. So on October 1st, the, the month started out really strong and then just was like, Bleh. and then picked back up again. So October 1st in 1968, we get Night of the Living Dead. And in 1974, we get the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That may be the best double feature that we've ever just stop there. You don't need to go any further. Wouldn't that be the best double feature ever? Like that we've covered on this. We talk about, you know, double features. I'm like, oh, that movie would go good. And usually you're like, no, just watch the first one twice. That would be a great double feature more than anything on a first watch. You've never seen them. You know, they they didn't have their impact. They do now to go and be a part of that impact. Wow. That'd be amazing. And then October 2nd, you get Near Dark, 1987, Strange Land, 1998, The Ring, the U.S. version of The Ring, 2002, and then Zombieland in 2009. I don't know, Near Dark and Strange Land would be a fun one, too. I love Near Dark. I agree with you. Your list has gone down, but they are all still great. Zombieland was pretty funny. I was actually a little disappointed in that because I thought it was going to be a little less comedy and a little more gore celebratory, but still it was a great movie. The Ring. I mean, I told you my story about The Ring when I first watched it. The first Ring was scary as shit. You love Near Dark, right? Absolutely love that film. Strange Land, which we haven't got a follow-up on. I have a giant Strange Land cardboard standee from when I worked at the video store signed by D. Snyder. That's one of those ones I need to go back and revisit. That's something that we should put on the list. I'll talk about some Captain Howdy. And then there was like a lull. I was like, fuck, is anything else good coming out? Because I got to this point and I was like, okay, it's this is just going to be a movies, you know, episode. We're not going to talk about anybody's birthday. So October 13th, skipped 11 fucking days. So October 13th, get Halloween 5 in 1989. Then I Madman, also in 1989. Yeah, we covered that on this show, didn't we? Which one's better, Halloween 5 or I, Madman? I, Madman. Jason would argue with us. To, he would fight us over this. I, Madman is far better than Halloween 5. And then uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas in 1993. And Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon in 2006. That's another movie that I don't feel like gets enough love. That's a, I love that. I absolutely love that movie. And yeah, we should p- throw that on the list, too. I've got stories. I've got comics. I've got the, the Leslie... Vernon Universe is expanding. I covered that a while back on Spill the Guts. Can't remember how we got to the end of that movie, but yeah, now I want to watch it. There's got to be a way to continue that story no matter what the ending was. I know. I'll keep my mouth shut so we can save that discussion for another episode. Great list so far. That's it. That's the whole list. I usually do three days, and I mean, I felt like with Night of the Living Dead and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Near Dark, Strange Land, the right, you know, Behind the Mask, I feel like that's a great two weeks of movies that you could just sit down and throw in. Usually when you do the, the horror history, there's one or two that I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then the rest, I'm like, well, whatever, I don't really care. This whole list was solid, and it, you know, we're in October. We're in spooky season, so it should be. It was weird because, like I said, I went from the 2nd to the 13th, and I was like, there's, I mean, there was stuff released, but I'm just like, this is October. You think they would be pumping out shit that would fill the calendar? But no, there was a big lull in the middle there. I mean, I know it's not primetime theater season, but. Well, speaking of October and things going on, we actually have a lot going on. Some of it is going to be us repeating ourselves, but the time is here for some of this stuff. Hey, Brian, what's going on? So this episode comes out on October 1st. On Friday, October 6th, I fly out to Vegas. Then I fly back on Monday. I will be attending the third annual Joe Bob Jamboree. Friday night is a, a Charles Band's recording a movie there, filming a movie at the drive-in. Um, and they're doing the film festival on Friday night. And then Saturday is the Roger Corman night. Four movies. They're supposed to be um, recording the show on Shutter. Sunday, I'm not going to the event, but it is uh, the Sleepaway Camp all night. They're showing all four Sleepaway Camp movies for the, I think it's the 40th anniversary of Sleepaway Camp. And then come home on Monday to on Friday, head over to Halloween Palooza for the night. I'm going to crash a 
at Jason Bollinger's house on his couch surrounded by fucking Transformers. They'll probably come to life at night and murder me or something like the Frankenstein one. And then on October 14th, conjunction with Orpheum Theater, Severin Films, I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast, Bootleg as Fuck Toys is going to be there. This guy named Clamp from Ink Mares is going to be there. He was you know, gracious enough to do the poster work for this event. We're going to show two movies. Next of Kin, no, not the fucking Patrick Swayze Next of Kin. I gather this one is an old folks haunted house with blood and gore. I've never seen it. I'm trying to keep myself as far away from it as I can because I want to see it for the first time on a theater screen because I've had several people say, oh, that's a, I love that movie. That's a great movie. So I want to go into it with as little knowledge as possible. And then the second movie is called Strange Behavior. And it's important to me because it's set in the town that I live in. And it's got a huge cult following at the local college, but not a lot of people around here know about it. So I'm very excited to show that for the first time on a theater screen in Galesburg, Illinois. I wouldn't miss it for the world. It's going to be an amazing event. Also, we're bringing uh, our new sort of co-host, Leah Stalker. If anybody's listened by now, she you've heard, I think, two now every other Saturday, but she's adding some extras just because it's October. There's a lot going on. Every Saturday or every other Saturday, she's running a subcast presented by the I Like a Spooky Horror podcast, Mishmash. Uh, Leah runs Pure Macabre and reports on all things going on all year round horror-related events in Michigan. So Leah's coming down to hang out with us too and check that stuff out it's gonna be a fun time that so that's part of what i got going on but i'm gonna back up all right this comes out october 1st well during this week i'll be doing my family run to adam's farm which is my one of the local farms around me and we always go there to get our apples and our pumpkins and our, our cider a little earlier than what we normally go i've got so much going on in october so saturday october 7th this is fun boots is having a bunch of her friends over to stay the night everybody's gonna get over here like early afternoon we're all gonna go to joanne fabrics and get fabric because they're all going to be sheet ghosts, kind of like Charlie Brown style for Halloween. So we're all going to go get fabric, come back. They're going to make their costumes. And then we're going to go to a local haunted house. And then we're going to come back here and watch horror movies. So Friday the 13th, there's so many things going on Friday the 13th, whether it's television premieres, movie premieres, events happening, Boots and I, and maybe Hannah, are going to go to the Redford Theater in Detroit where... Last episode, I said Dawn of the Dead premiered. I said that wrong. I meant to say Evil Dead. So, retraction. Evil Dead premiered. Night of the Demons premiered. A lot of other great stuff. Goblin is going to be performing live to the backdrop of the movie Demons. Dario Argento's Lombardo Bava's directed Demons. So, Boots and I are going to be going to that. Run home from that. Go to sleep. Get up. Going to shoot down and hang out at the Orpheum, just like Brian just said. Then we'll have another episode after that where I can tell you about all the other shit I got going on the rest of this month. Yeah, after the 13th, I'm not doing anything ever again. <laughs> It'll be fun. Like I said, even if five people show up, I can sit and watch the movies on a big screen and it it's cost me nothing. I mean, we got Severn Films coming. You know, you're coming from Michigan and, you know, Matt with Severn Films is coming from Chicago and it sounds like people around town are going to show up. You know, we're having a, some drinks at uh, down the street. It's called The Reserve. It's the Artisan Ales place. They make their own alcohol and you can self-pour an ounce or 10 ounces. You know, you pay by the ounce and they have a food truck lined up. Um, I have another interview. So hopefully these interviews start coming out so people can read them and get, you know, excited for the event. And then probably the weirdest thing is I'm going to talk to a journalism class at the local college. So Knox College, which is a, you know, a nationally known liberal arts college, it ranks in the top 100, I think every year for best liberal arts colleges. I had reached out to the professor of journalism. I didn't know he was, but he runs a website that talks about news in the area. And I had reached out to him about the event. And he's like, oh, I'm the journalism professor at Knox. Would you come and talk to my class about podcasting? And I was like, sure. When do you want me to do it? And he's like, well, maybe in you know October sometime. And I was like, well, I'm off next Friday. And he's like, oh, that works. So yeah, I'm going to talk to the journalism class. I'm just going to pack up my little you know stuff here, take my computer and my headphones and my microphone and just answer questions and talk to the kids. If the news gets weird in the next couple of years, it's because these kids talk to me and then they graduated and went to work for CNN or some shit like that. It's really weird. So I'm sorry. Or I'm not sorry. I don't. It can't get much weirder than it is right now, but yeah, there's going to be a generation of kids talking like, see, man, like they're from the damn South <laughs> John Deere tractors, even though they're from Illinois and talking about dead kids and boggy creeks. 
Viper, alcohol, street trash. Oh, man. Now I'm thirsty. We'll get some Viper and you get some stout and we'll be good to go. Yeah. It's funny. Again, yesterday I was at, as of this recording yesterday, I was at Harris Fest and Leah was there and she came over and we hung out and talked for a while. And we were talking about all the events that go on in Michigan all the time. And uh, she says, I feel, I'm paraphrasing, but she was like, I feel bad for Brian because, you know, he must not get to go to a lot of stuff. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't even mention the uh, Vegas trip that slipped my mind, but I was, he does this and, you know, the PFPM boys are all around there and, you know, Halloween of Palooza and the Orpheum. And I was like, "He he gets to do plenty. I was like, and plus, he just comes to Michigan and goes to all these other bigger shows that uh, that I go to also. So that's really cool that you're going to be talking at the college, man. Congratulations. Somebody's like, what's your speech? And I was like, I'm just going to wing it. I, I just kind of wing it. You put paper in front of me and I get all fucked up. Don't script the thing. A lot <laughs> <No>. of, <laughs> I'm not knocking Brian, but man, he doesn't work well off a of script. So yeah, I've seen it happen firsthand. So now that you've heard about Horror Hotel and the great links it's ingrained into our pop culture, the news, what else? What we got going on? Fuck, you put me on a script. Now I'm messing up. Everything we've covered, collectibles, what we've bought, the news, what we're up to, why we're poor, horror history. Horror Hotel is horror history, client. How about that? Don't forget to like and subscribe to I Like a Spooky Horror Podcast. Check us out on all major social medias, even that new Twitter thing, Threads. That's Instagram's reaction or version of Twitter. I know what you meant. All of it. Listen to Spill the Gut three days a week for Clint's horror news. Check out Mishmash for all the spooky happenings in Michigan. Check out the appendages episodes for Crackle and Redbox monthly streaming, free streaming movies. You don't even have to pay. They're free. And take care. Bye-bye. Till next time. Hey, what's wrong with you, man? Show some fucking respect for the dead, will ya?